I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. I hope, uh, I hope, like me, you had way more carbs than you typically allow yourself, and that uh, you'll be you'll be back um, eating healthy again <laughs> Monday morning. I am excited about today's passage. Uh, if you're visiting, by the way, my name is Scott. I'm one of the pastors on staff. And uh, this morning, we're going to talk about weddings. And I, I actually like weddings. I especially like when the service is over, when we get to enjoy the choice appetizers, choice food and beverages, choice cake. And probably my favorite part is taking my wife out of the dance floor and trying to dance to Prince, Duran Duran, Depeche Mode, etc., and trying to do it again. Hey, we're going to look at a wedding this morning. It uh, it's, uh, it's, was written, recorded uh, by one of Jesus' co-workers, Matthew, who was a detail guy who captured a wedding that is unlike any wedding you've ever seen. In fact, when we look at this wedding, you might say to yourself, uh, what I did, I didn't catch that. This wedding uh, begins like we would expect most weddings. Uh, an announcement, an invite, a great um, build-up to a super banquet, a super feast, and yet, it takes on a Godfather 3, a, uh, a Francis Ford Coppola film, a, a, a Ridley Scott uh, plot in the wedding. It's a total uh, contrarian type wedding. And I want you to see it. I'm going to read it. Uh, if you came without a Bible, raise your hand and we'll get one to you. I'm going to be on page 686 in our Adventure Bibles. And let me just ask the AV team, could you guys bring the lighting on just enough so we adults who are over 40 can see uh, what we're looking at? And uh, we're going we're gonna to walk through this wedding that Jesus describes in Matthew 22 that takes a turn unlike any wedding you've ever seen. Here it is. Jesus spoke to them again in a parable. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Then he sent some more servants and said, tell those who have been invited that I've prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened cattle have been butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. So you see the, the gracious uh, uh, thoughtfulness of this king. He, he is resending his Evite twice. Uh, the guests already knew they were invited. He sent out one series of servants to let them know everything was ready. And then he sent out a second. A, a real uh, patient, gracious, um, even persevering host who really wanted to reach out to his guests and give them... Uh, first seat accommodations at the wedding he'd prepared for his son. It, it's, it bespeaks a lot of, of, uh, of the kind of character you want to have as a host. Then in verse 5, things happen like they normally do in our uh, culture. Uh, his guests that were invited, they paid no attention. That happens. And they went off. And they went off in different directions. One off to his field. Uh, the other uh, went off uh, to uh, his business. That happens. Uh, but verse 6, things take a, a Francis Ford Coppola turn. They, they take a Ridley Scott turn. This is totally 
different than any wedding you'd ever see. In verse 6, Jesus says that the rest, that is uh, the rest of, of the party that didn't just go to business or, um, or go to their field, they seized the king's servants. They seized the servants, the very servants that were extending the invitation. They mistreated them, and they killed them. That's what it says. This is a parable Jesus taught that Matthew alone captures with this kind of uh, treatment. They killed the servants. <laughs> it's hard to imagine Jesus telling a wedding story with this kind of plot, but he is. This is him, I promise you. <laughs> uh, they killed them. Uh, the king was enraged, rightly so. <laughs> he sent his army. Can you imagine? He sent his army and, uh, and destroyed those murderers. And he burned their city. Wow. Wow. This, wow. This is, this is not going like the, uh, like the community uh, imagined. Then he said to his servants, The wedding banquet is ready. But those I invited did not deserve to come. Go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. Anyone. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, both good and bad, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. That's God's desire, that we fill the wedding hall with guests. And when the king came in to see his guests, he noticed a man who was not wearing wedding clothes. Now, this is, it is scholars' debate as to whether or not those wedding clothes would have been provided by the king or would have been... Um, there would have been a mutual understanding that the guests would have worn uh, wedding clothes. Uh, nonetheless, the, the responsibility was on the guests to come dressed in a, in a way that honored the son, uh, that honored the groom. And so the king graciously calls him out, just like Jesus would call someone out. Hey, friend, um, he asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? Uh, the man was speechless. He had nothing, nothing to say. Then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness. What kind of wedding is this? Can you imagine this? Throw him out in the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. Wow. Often in life, we, we want to see weddings take place where people are eating, drinking, being merry, having a good time. And all of a sudden, there's this interruption, this abrupt uh, uh, plot narrative turn where all of a sudden things are chaotic. And they're violent. They're violent. They're brutal. Uh, last May, when I was planning this series uh, I wanted to take a few minutes to talk about our brutal world this morning. And uh, I hope you'll understand that at Adventure, we don't respond every time there's, a, there, there's, a, there's brutality. We don't respond every time there's a political issue. We just don't. Uh, unless the elders say, hey, we need to dive in on this one and let the congregation know where we're at. We try not to respond or play, you know, 
we just don't respond to what's happening all the time. We just want to teach the Bible. But today, I want to talk about the global, increasing, brutal violence that we live in. Am I being clear? I want to talk about that today. And I want to just say that this passage somewhat uh, echoes how we feel. <laughs> We've got great expectations of, of, uh, of vows, great expectations of a party, great expectations of enjoying life, eating, drinking, being merry, um, enjoying uh, the good life. And all of a sudden, our lives are interrupted with acts of violence. You can't help but think about the awful tragedy that took place in Paris just a couple weeks ago. Or the event over the weekend in Mali where a UN, uh, UN uh, building was, uh, was terrorized. Or uh, what is looming in Belgium. We don't know. I and mean, they're still trying to protect that, uh, that country from more acts of terror. We're, we know, we can't help but watch the news, we know that there's, uh, there, there are some 60 million refugees that are making their way out of uh, Syria, out of the Middle East. That number only compares to what our grandparents or our parents experienced during World War II, these kind of numbers. We know that there's a growing uh, violence in the Middle East that is just Weird. It's different. Take some time to research it. It's different from anything we've seen in centuries. Uh, the only comparison we would have is something that our grandparents experienced during the, the 30s and 40s with the, the Third Reich, uh, with the Final Solution. Uh, that's the only comparison we have. And so the question I want to ask this morning is how do we bring Jesus' hope to this brutal world? Is that a fair question? How do we bring Jesus' hope to this brutal world? Do we live in an increasingly brutal world? Would you agree? Am I exaggerating? Uh, I, I don't think, I'm not trying to play off the emotions of this. I planned this message uh, quite a long time ago, last May. How do we deal with the growing brutality in a way that is responsible, in a way that's faithful? in a way that's biblically accurate. I think this passage helps us. And I, I want to start in a couple, I'm just going to reference a few passages. I want to start in Romans chapter 13, verse 1, as I answer the how. How do we bring Jesus' hope to this uh, imperfect world? Romans chapter 13, uh, it's actually the second part of verse 1. Jesus' co-worker, Paul says, there is no authority except that which God has established. God is the one who establishes authorities. He goes on to say the authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against authority is rebelling against God. It's, it's throughout Holy Writ that we see God use governing authorities to carry out his judgment totally unbeknownst to them. And so Assyria, God will use to carry out judgment on Israel. And uh, Persia, God will use to carry out judgment on Assyria. Throughout Holy Writ, God will raise up kings, prime ministers, uh, uh, and presidents to carry out his judgment. And it's because he's the one that has the ability to make a just call. We don't. 
That's why we trust uh, governing authorities who still have accountability, to, who have tremendous accountability to God, and in our country, praise the Lord, accountability to us. How do we bring Jesus' hope to our increasingly brutal world? Here's the first way. You pray for a king. You pray for a king. First Timothy chapter 2, what does Jesus' co-worker Paul say? I urge therefore then that all men everywhere lift up holy hands and pray for all those who are in authority so that we might live tranquil, peaceful lives. So right now, I'm going to lead you in that. We're going to pray for people that are in authority right now. Would you do that with me? I'm just going to lead in this prayer. Rather than just talk about it, I'm going to lead you in it. Heavenly Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. We, uh, we don't talk about it all the time because it creates anxiety, but we just ask that your Holy Spirit would give direction to our leaders. Give direction to our president, Obama, and give direction to his cabinet and Congress to make decisions that will create peace and safety, not just for Americans, but for people throughout the developing world. God, I pray that you'll be, your spirit will lead uh, President Vladimir Putin. God, I know he has a faith background. I just pray that he will make decisions that will be guided by your hand. I pray the same for Prime Minister David Cameron, that you will please guide him and use him to make decisions that are led by your hand. The same prayer for the uh, President Francis Holland, that you will please guide him, please Please use him to make decisions that are God-honoring, that are your decisions, whether he knows it or not. The same, I pray, for patience, for the leader of Turkey, that you will accomplish your will through them. If you agree, just say amen with me. Amen. Uh, it, it may seem very um, uh, ineffective, what I just did, but the Bible will argue it's the most effective thing you can do is pray for a king. You pray because God will use your prayers and he will carry out his will through that king, whether the king recognizes it or not. Case in point, when Jesus was teaching in the first century, he prophesied that an event was happening. This parable is a prophetic parable. It's laying the ground for something that Jesus said would happen in about 30 AD. He said it would happen within 40 years. The city that is referenced in this parable is the city of Jerusalem, where all the prophets and all the, uh, all the rabbis throughout history had been martyred, where Jesus would be martyred, and where several of his apostles, his disciples who were sent out, that's why they were called apostles, were martyred, and where Christians in the first century were martyred, Christ followers, because they were accused of participating in a sect or in a heresy, uh, acknowledging Jesus was the Messiah, how can anyone be the Messiah if he's hanging on a tree? Cursed is any man who hangs on a tree. And so they would imprison and sometimes martyr Christians. This parable was a prophecy that God was going to carry out justice. How did God carry out justice? Christians were no doubt praying. Who were they praying for? I would argue they were praying for the emperor Domitian. And through their prayers, God did carry out justice. On, just like this parable says, those murderers, and on uh, that city. And in between 66 and 70 AD, that city was burned down. And 
uh, it was the emperor, uh, Domitian, who honored his brother, uh, General Titus, with this arch that you see behind me, was, uh, and, and is still extant. Uh, he honored him with that arch because of his victory over Jerusalem. You might say, gosh, this is just way more gothic of a morning than I wanted. <laughs> and that's why we, don't, we try not to go here all the time. But God used the prayers of early Christians to carry out justice. The way God deemed it necessary. He keeps nations accountable. And he'll keep other nations accountable. I mean, think just back with me 50 years. <laughs> uh, or, no, it would be, what, 70 years. What it must have been like to be your great-grandparents or your grandparents or even your parents during the mid-40s knowing what was happening in Nazi Germany, knowing what could have happened here on our Pacific coast. You've, you've toured. You've toured the coast and seen all the armament that's built up. That was a frightful era. People were praying. We need to pray for kings. That's how we bring Jesus hope. We pray for kings. The question I'm trying to field today is, how do, we, how do we live life with great expectations of uh, joy, of uh, enjoying the, the good things of life, when our lives sometimes are abruptly uh, interrupted by tragedy? I mean, it just, <laughs> it's just part of life, and it seems to be increasing. I'm not an alarmist. i got to tell you, let's pause Praise the Lord, we didn't have any acts of terror over Thanksgiving weekend. Isn't that wonderful? <laughs> uh, it, there were some acts of violence, but no, no acts of terror that I'm aware of. Praise the Lord. Uh, not everyone gets to enjoy that. We're awfully lucky to be in this country, and I would even argue to be in this very state, uh, in this very region. Um, but when our lives are disrupted, how do we, how do we bring Jesus hope? Uh, to people around us. And the irony about this story is that while the king is sending an army out to take care of those murderers and burn that city, the king sends more servants out to tell people the wedding banquet is still on. We're still going to have a party. (laughs) Yeah, I got this taken care of. Keep your feet moving. And you know, in the midst of violence and brutality, what do you want to do? Cuddle up in the couch Watch your favorite movie and don't go out at all, right? No. This king says, keep moving, keep going, keep bringing hope. Keep going. Keep bringing hope. He tells these servants, and go out further. Go out into the highways. Go to the corner. When I read that, I was like, go to the corner. Who's at the corner? What kind of people are at the corner? Who hangs out at the corner? It's like I started thinking about who is there, and I was like, wow, not necessarily the crowd I would go camping with. Uh, you know, I, uh, G, G, this king says, go to the corner. Go be with people, and, and don't, be, um, don't, be, uh, don't be partial. He says, find the good and the bad. Whatever your measure for good and bad is, you find anyone. Hey, and you reach out to them, and you tell them there is a five-star banquet with incredible caviar, incredible duck, and lobster. You've got to come. You're going to love it. Okay, some of you were turned off by that. Hamburgers and hot dogs. <laughs> You've got to come. That needs to be our posture 
as Christ followers, in the midst of the brutality, we need to maintain a hope-bringing posture. Uh, Because we have the hope of the world. We have the gift from the king. And the gift from the king is, is, uh, is, is clearly mentioned here. It's this garment we get to put on. It's this garment that we get. You know, I was thinking, I, I chose this shirt this morning uh, in some ways because uh, my wife likes this shirt. <laughs> and when Melissa likes this shirt, I'm cool if no one else likes the shirt. You know what I mean? It's like, it's all right. She likes it. I'm like, okay, she's getting it. Now, I didn't ask her about the shoes this morning. She was still sleeping when I left. So I'll get a little grade here at second service. But, but uh, I like this shirt because she likes it. It honors her, right? At this wedding, the king wants you to wear something that honors his son. And what honors his son is this willingness to accept this gift. This gift that is a gift of the king. And it's, it's specified in Romans chapter 3, verse 23. I'll have it on the, on the board behind me. When Jesus' co-worker, Paul, writes about this gift of a garment. And you'll see how this all fits together. He says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every one of us. None of us are, none of us are good. And we are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ redeemed us on the cross. When we look to the cross for our garment, for our gift, we are clothed with Jesus Christ. We're wearing the outfit that the king wants us to have on to honor the son. We're accepting that gift. It's nothing you earn. It's something you simply accept. And it helps fight against the terrible guilt that we feel all the time. I watched a film this weekend uh, at my son's request that several of us wanted to turn off throughout it just because it was so, oh, we didn't know where it was going. It just went on and on and on. But I think I could recommend it. He was right. It's called The Machinist with Christian Bale. And... Uh, Christian Bale, who plays a Trevor Rennick, uh, is, ex- is withering away physically. Uh, the actor actually dropped from 173 pounds to, I think, 119 to play this role. And uh, he's an industrial machinist that, uh, that is having some problems at work. His fellow employees want him out. Um, there's an injury on the job. He's falling apart. He's hallucinating. He's uh, delusional. And it just goes on and on and on. And I'm like, please, can we, someone just push the A. Let's stop this movie. And, uh, you know, you, you want to hang in. And then there was nothing that I saw that, that, that in a, was inappropriate in it. It's a little gothic for me. But what you discover is that what this actor uh, was struggling with, Trevor Resnick, was guilt. <laughs> He was overwhelmed with guilt, and that guilt was eating at him, eating him away. If you clothe yourself with the righteousness, the righteous garments that the king gives us by believing in what his son did on the cross was for you, you can push that guilt off and get rid of it and be free. And that's what this, uh, that's what this actor experienced. We're charged in the midst of the drama, in the midst of the stress, Just like Kaiser says, keep moving. 
Keep going. Go out further. Keep being a hope bringer. Because there's a gift and there's a that needs to be distributed and there's a wedding chamber that needs to be filled. We've got lots of opportunity to fill seats here, to fill seats second service. Our job is to keep going and keep bringing hope. Not just here, but to our other venues, to our community groups, uh, to some of our service teams like Compassion 365. Keep bringing hope. Keep moving. Why? Why can we have that kind of faith? Because there's a wedding coming that Maroon 5 isn't going to crash. There's a wedding coming that Jesus is going to crash. Look in Revelation chapter 19, which is actually a great commentary on this passage as well. Revelation chapter 19, beginning in verse 7. I'll have the verses on the screen. Look and see how the Bible is commenting on the Bible right here in this passage. This was written by John, one of uh, Matthew's actual fellow associates. He writes this, Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Then John enters this parenthetical note, Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. Ooh, isn't that beautiful? We're not only clothed with the righteousness of Christ. The Holy Spirit comes into our life and wants to do acts of righteousness through us. And then he says this in verse 9. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. Do you know why we can maintain hope in this brutal world? Because we pray for kings. (laughs) And if you feel... Compelled, write your uh, state legislature, write your, your congressmen and women about how you sense God is uh, directing you. Pray for a king. We can have hope when we pray. We can have hope that there's a wedding feast coming that we can continue to invite people to. Continue to invite people to. And thirdly, We can live with hope because there's a wedding coming that Jesus himself is going to crash. And as the author of Revelation wrote, John, he says, and we will see him face to face, eye to eye someday. Are you ready for that day? That's the day that's coming. Can you see yourself as someone who, instead of just feeling torn up for what's happening in Syria or Iraq, the Christians that are in Iraq that are suffering, or the Christians that are suffering in Uganda or Tanzania, or the Christians that are suffering in Egypt especially. Can you see yourself bringing them hope by simply praying for their leaders? Paul says it brings hope. I urge therefore everyone everywhere to lift up holy hands and pray for kings and all those who are in authority. Secondly, can you see yourself bringing Jesus' hope in the midst of the chaos and the brutality and talking to people about the gift of God, the garments that he wants to clothe us in that are not the result of our being good. They're the result of his good gift, not our performance. That's good living. Thirdly, can you see yourself raising your eyes above some of the brutality and saying, you know what? There's a wedding feast coming that Jesus is going to crash. It is going to be amazing. I look forward to that wedding feast. It's coming soon. All right. 
This morning's goal was to simply address some of the real world, real world issues we have and get some perspective on them. And I hope uh, in some way you've been inspired to be a hope bringer right where you're at through prayer, through sharing your faith, your Jesus story, sharing the gift that God's given you, and living with hope for the second coming of Jesus Christ where he'll crash the greatest wedding banquet ever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, just the chance this morning to, to hear from you and to get a picture of this world that kind of goes on two tracks. There's, there's great times, good life, but there's also tragedy that comes upon people that are, that are, uh, that are both God-fearing and, and, and unbelieving. And we do. We, we ask that you would please strengthen our leaders to keep us safe so that we can keep bringing hope for the wedding that's coming. In Jesus' name, amen.